You're listening to Tom Fitton's weekly update here on JW TalkNet. Hi, Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton here with our weekly update here on social media. Thanks for joining us. It's been a busy week. I have a border crisis update, a new Clinton collusion emails to tell you about. You won't believe them. And Judicial Watch is front and center in the Supreme Court fight over whether or not the Trump administration should be able to figure out through the census how many foreign nationals are present here in the United States. Uh, First up, though, was the Clinton emails that we uncovered or Clinton email investigation emails that we uncovered out of the FBI. Now, Judicial Watch has been front and center on this issue. You may remember, or you should know, that it was Judicial Watch's Freedom of Information Act litigation that exposed the Clinton email scandal. We had covered the server through a Benghazi-related Freedom of Information Act lawsuit. The government was forced to fess up uh, that they had the emails, and it was those disclosures that led to uh, what turned out to be the sham investigation by the Justice Department and the FBI into her handling of a uh, very limited investigation into her handling of classified information. Now, uh, the Judicial Watch uh, is now in the midst of discovery, meaning we're gathering evidence, uh, court-ordered discovery, to figure out, uh, the court wants to know, whether her email system was set up to thwart the Freedom of Information Act, whether the State Department, Justice Department, etc., Uh, was trying to hoodwink Judicial Watch and the court in withholding information about the uh, Clinton email server issue. And thirdly, whether all the emails are out there that have been, uh, all the emails out there have been found. And so uh, this discovery is ongoing. We'll be questioning top witnesses of uh, top individuals associated with Mrs. Clinton, including her lawyer. But that's not the only thing we're doing. So we're in discovery. We're taking evidence talking to people. We may even talk to Hillary Clinton. Who knows? Congress isn't doing this. Lord knows the Justice Department isn't doing this. The FBI isn't doing it. The State Department isn't doing it. It's Judicial Watch that's doing it. So getting back to the matter at hand, I talked about this sham investigation. And why was it a sham investigation? It was in part because they had anti-Trump, pro-Hillary Clinton individuals running it in the name of Uh, obviously James Comey, but Peter Strzok and Lisa Page. Uh, Lisa Page was a top lawyer in the FBI. Peter Strzok was a top counterintelligence official, and Strzok effectively was running the FBI investigation on a day-to-day basis. Uh, And then it came out, uh, thanks to this IG investigation, and was suppressed, uh, this information, for months by Mueller, because Strzok was working for Mueller, so was Page, that Strzok and Page had engaged in an illicit affair with each other and were texting each other anti-Trump and pro-Hillary Clinton messages, which obviously uh, goes at the heart of the credibility of the Clinton email investigation and, yes, the credibility of the Trump investigation. So Judicial Watch asked for documents and uh, communications for uh, communications between Strzok and Page, and including text messages and emails and other things. So it's been a kind of a, uh, a big slog to get this information out of the FBI and the Justice Department. Uh, we've had to sue in federal court. So as a result of our lawsuit, we're getting documents never seen before, including extraordinary documents. And we got this latest batch of documents. So this is what happens. We get uh, batches of emails like this. This is about uh, 215, 200, yeah, 216 pages 
of emails. And so this is how it comes to us. And so our investigators and our team and I go through them and we try to figure out, well, hey, let's, what's, what's important here? Let's put it all out for the American people to see and call attention to the things that may be of interest to them. Sure enough, there was a lot of information of interest uh, to the American people here, including an email that shows that uh, Mrs. Clinton's top lawyer, her personal lawyer, David Kendall, called the top lawyer for the FBI and uh, demanded a return call ASAP because he was upset about the letter that James Comey sent to Congress on October 26th or so uh, of 2016 about the reopening preliminarily of the Clinton email investigation as a result of the fact that the New York uh, investigators and the FBI and the police department had found Clinton emails on Anthony Weiner's laptop. Why were Clinton emails or emails from the Clinton server on Anthony Weiner's laptop? Because uh, Weiner's husband, uh, excuse me, Weiner's wife at the time, Yuma Abedin, a top Clinton uh, aide at the State Department, worked at the Clinton Foundation, et cetera, also had an email account on the secret email system. So uh, unsurprisingly, all these emails end up on Anthony Weiner's laptop. Uh, and as Judicial Watch has disclosed, at least 18 of those emails were classified. So Anthony Weiner, who went to jail for uh, sex crimes, uh, had classified information on his system thanks to Mrs. Clinton's misconduct, uh, where she set up this separate email system to conduct all of her government business, including classified business. So uh, Comey feels the need to tell Congress about this, uh, not do I think, not because I think he was interested in being honest and disclosing it, but based on what the IG has found under the Department of Justice and what uh, Comey has essentially admitted to, it was either he tell Congress or it was going to be leaked out because people were frustrated within the FBI that they knew that all these emails were on, uh, Ms., uh, on, Ab- on Wiener's laptop, but nothing was being done on it. So Comey sent his letter, and what happened is that uh, David Kendall called the top lawyer for the FBI almost immediately. And Baker then describes to Comey, to uh, other top officials at the FBI, including uh, Strzok and Page, the phone call. And this is what uh, Baker uh, describes the phone call as as entailing. I received the email below from David Kendall, and I called him back, and the email was, call me as soon as possible. Before doing so, I alerted DOJ via email that I would do that. Redacted paragraph. So there's an entire paragraph that's redacted that we don't see. He said that our letter was, quote, tantalizingly ambiguous and made statements that were inchoate and highly ominous, such that we were what we had such that what he we had done was worse than transparency because it allows people to make whatever they want out to make out of the letter to the prejudice of Secretary Clinton. I told him that I could not respond to his request at this time and that I would discuss it with others and get back to him. I suggest that we have some kind of follow-up meeting or phone call with the group either this evening or over the weekend to address this and probably other issues, questions that come up with in the next 24 hours. Sound reasonable? Again, this email sent to Strzok, Page, and Comey and other top officials at the FBI. So you had David Kendall, the president's lawyer, or excuse me, 
they thought it was going to be the president's lawyer. <laughs> Remember, at the time, everyone thought Hillary Clinton was going to win, to win, call and complain about Comey's disclosures to Congress that her email system emails were on Anthony Weiner's laptop. And uh, the FBI, rather than telling Mr. Kendall, well, look, we're doing an investigation, complaining about public disclosures, uh, we hear you, but the idea that they were going to res- respond to his, quote, request and discuss them is really quite extraordinary. What did the FBI do? Well, we don't know because we didn't get those documents yet. Uh, the requests, I think, are part of that redacted material, so we don't know what Mr. Kendall asked of the FBI. But it's pretty darn extraordinary that the subject, putatively, of a criminal investigation over the mishandling of classified information uh, just feels that they can call the top leadership at the FBI to complain about how the investigation and disclosures about the investigation are being mishandled, are being handled. And uh, the reaction is just rich because then they all, it's all an all-hands-on-deck meeting uh, that uh, it looks like a conference call occurred at 1 p.m. the next day. This uh, email was sent late on October 28th, uh, on, on October 28th, and uh, Kendall uh, said, boo, leadership at the FBI jumped. That's for sure. So that's pretty extraordinary. Another extraordinary uh, piece of email that came out, or another extraordinary email that came out, was an email from Lisa Page that confirmed previous reporting and disclosures, thanks again to Judicial Watch, because we've sued also for the FBI investigative file on the Clinton email issue, uh, that there was um, a quid quo, a quid, <laughs> a quid pro quo between the State Department and the FBI, or an attempted bribery effort by the State Department. And essentially what was going on is that the State Department was concerned uh, wanted the FBI to underclassify a Clinton email in particular and uh, still keep it withheld, but only for non-classified reasons. So the State Department, according to Lisa Page, said, and this is the, this is the document, Jason Herring will be providing you with three 302s of current and former FBI employees who were interviewed during the course of the Clinton investigation. These 302s are scheduled to be released to Congress in an unredacted form at the end of the week and produced with redactions, pursuant to FOIA at the beginning of the week. And FOIA, obviously, that's Judicial Watch. As you will see, they describe a discussion about potential quid pro quo. So this is not my language. This is Lisa Page's language a potential uh, quid pro quo arrangement between then-DAD and IOD, which is Deputy Assistant Director for International Operations Division, and an undersecretary at the State Department, whereby IOD would get more legat legat, uh, positions, L-E-G-A-T, which is an acronym for legal attache positions, if the FBI could change the basis of the FOIA withholding Ray a Clinton email from classified to something else. Boy, think about that. The State Department was offering bureaucratic favors to the FBI in exchange for the FBI downgrading 
the national security classification of a Clinton email. That obviously helps the Clinton State Department, or the Kerry State Department at the time, and Hillary Clinton. And uh, this email doesn't say it, that was not true. It's a heads-up email. They knew it happened, and yet the FBI did nothing about it. Uh, frankly, this should be criminally investigated, what went on here. And, of course, they're messing with our FOIA cases there. And I tell you, I, the one thing that's always struck me, and it's, it's kind of unusual for me to complain about this, because uh, as a transparency group, we try to get more information out of the government. And we think the overclassification of material is a big problem in, uh, in the release of government documents. We're always fighting about classification. There's not much we can do when the government classifies, docu- classifies documents, uh, but they tend to overclassify material. But one thing I did notice in the Clinton emails is uh, there were obviously classified documents, including highly sensitive classified documents of the, of the top uh, security uh, nature. I'm convinced, looking at some of these documents, that they were underclassified. I've looked at virtually every Clinton email there is, and uh, you can't put your finger on it, but based on my experience of two decades working at Judicial Watch and reviewing documents that the government releases, that the State Department purposely underclassified or did not classify Clinton emails, and as this email suggests, to protect Hillary Clinton and itself. Because if there was a whole raft of classified materials, it would have really made it difficult for the FBI to come to a sham conclusion with the approval of the corrupted Justice Department that Hillary Clinton uh, shouldn't face any legal consequences for the, her mishandling classified information. So the lessening, by, by lessening the number of classified materials, uh, the State Department uh, was helping Hillary Clinton. Now, did this quid pro quo actually happen? By all accounts, no. But we don't know for sure. And that's the problem. No one's doing the investigation. And this is crazy that it's years later, we've got this evidence, as I said in the release, that the Clinton investigation was rigged. These unusual phone calls between the top lawyer for Hillary Clinton and the top lawyer for the FBI. You think Powell Manafort's lawyer could talk to the top lawyer for the FBI and complain? Do you think they would care what he said? Do you think even President Trump's lawyer could call the top lawyer for the FBI and complain about what's going on? Oh, it would be a scandal, I'm sure. But Hillary Clinton's lawyer was able to do it just days before the election campaign. Incredible. And... uh, this Justice Department and this FBI have done nothing to investigate that corrupted investigation, has done nothing, as best we can tell, to honestly finally investigate the Clinton email scandal. And there's another email that's of interest, and it's not of interest because it shows a scandal, but it just kind of shows you an attitude. I mean, James Comey sends along a, um, a press release or receives it, and there's email traffic about a press release Charles Grassley had criticizing the FBI's selective release of Clinton investigative documents. And what does uh, Comey say? Uh, Because this is just rich. I want to get the quote right, so forgive me. Um, Ah, Comey tells his aides, 
to be great is to be misunderstood. I mean, the arrogance of this guy. Unbelievable. So that's kind of a fun email. But there are other emails, and I encourage you, you know, go ahead and go to our website at judicialwatch.org. You can look at the press release. Uh, title, you know, you'll find the press release about the Clinton emails. Uh, FBI general counsel talked to Hillary Clinton's lawyer about Comey's letter on Wiener laptop Clinton emails. And go to the website, click on the press release, click on the press release, you'll see a link to the 216 pages of documents, and you can download these emails and look at them yourselves. Now, you know, we look at them and we try to figure out what's up and what's down. Uh, but there are a lot of emails, so maybe you'll find something we didn't. So I encourage you to not only do this with this batch of documents, but every batch of documents that Judicial Watch releases. So when I'm on here reporting about a group of documents, you should know that I'm probably only reporting on a portion of the documents uh, of a greater group of documents that we've been able to review. And there may be other interesting things in there uh, and takes that you may have when looking even at the documents we're reporting. And this is what I love about Judicial Watch. You don't have to believe me. You can believe your lying eyes and look at the documents yourself. So I encourage you to do that. Uh, We had other uh, news this week. We filed a brief uh, with the Supreme Court. It's called an amicus curiae brief, a friend of the court brief. Uh, We filed it uh, with our partners in these efforts, oftentimes the Allied Educational Foundation. It's about a a topic that probably hasn't gotten a lot of news, but it's important. And it's the ability of the census to ask questions of individuals as we face the new, um, as we come up on the new census in 2020, uh, whether or not they are citizens of the United States. Now, supposedly this is a new question. Well, it's really not a new question because there are Uh, You know, the census is more than just the big census that you think about every 10 years. There's always surveys conducted by the Census Bureau and surveys which include questions like that. But uh, they wanted to make this a general question, I believe, for the uh, full census in 2020, and the left went ballistic. The left went ballistic. And I believe they went ballistic is because they don't want you, the American voter or citizen, to know how many foreign nationals are here in the United States. Because I'm sure it's a number that's uncomfortable to many Americans. It's a major, massive population of foreign nationals here in the United States, both citizen, both aliens uh, lawfully present, and aliens unlawfully present. So uh, the left is desperate, uh, to the, uh, and they hate the idea of the American people knowing more about the number of foreign nationals here in the United States. And what had happened is uh, the census is run, I believe, by the Commerce Department. So the left came in and sued the Commerce Department, uh, found an anti-Trump judge who had a trial. I mean, frankly, that they were having a trial on as to whether they were going to have the census question uh, the mere fact that the trial was going to take place was an indication of how the judge was going to rule. So the judge, of course, ruled that the cabinet official confirmed, appointed by President Trump and confirmed by the U.S. Senate wasn't able to uh, make the decision to include the census question. And now, in order to get the census question part of the 2020 census, uh, we have to move quickly. It's already, I couldn't believe it, it's 2019. I'm still, I'm still thinking it's 2018, so it's next year. They've got to move quickly. So uh, the Obama, excuse me, the Trump administration appealed it to the Supreme Court, 
And so the Supreme Court is considering uh, this issue, and Judicial Watch filed a, um, uh, an amicus brief, as I said, with our friends at the Allied Educational Foundation. And the point we make in the amicus brief is that the census question would help Judicial Watch and the federal government in their efforts to make sure the voting rolls and voting laws um, are operating well. Now, uh, essentially, we want to include the citizenship question or think it's appropriate to include the citizenship question because it would make sure that only eligible citizens are on the rolls. And as we say in the brief, adding a citizenship question to the decennial census, decennial means every 10 years, would generate a massive amount of new data concerning the numbers of citizens and non-citizens in U.S. states and counties. To quibble about potential limitations on the data in the data would be uh, in the data that would be collected is to miss the point. It cannot be the case that we are somehow better off with less less information. The mountain of new data generated by the decennial census question will assist private litigants and the Department of Justice in their efforts to enforce the National Voter Registration Act, which is the law requiring. States take reasonable steps to clean up the rolls that we've sued under. And uh, indeed, this data will overcome limitations identified by a federal court uh, concerning the, uh, the current data on citizenship. So essentially, the current data on citizenship is extrapolated based on uh, questions to a limited group of individuals. It's pretty good data, but it is far from perfect. And the way to make the data better is to ask more people the question of whether they're citizens or not. What's the harm in asking the question? Well, as I told you what the harm is, the left uh, is afraid their uh, open borders agenda will be undermined uh, by a negative reaction to the potential numbers of citizens that confirmed here in the United States, both legal and otherwise. It's tens of millions of individuals. And as uh, this is a segue to the other issue of voter fraud, uh, when you've got all these individuals here in the United States who are not eligible to vote, It makes it incumbent upon the states and the federal bureaucracies and law enforcement to make sure they're not on the rolls and to make sure they're not voting. Which leads me to the next issue. Voter fraud um, as a result of aliens illegally voting is significant. Now, uh, you may recall that Judicial Watch was talking about uh, the NVRA case that we settled with Los Angeles County in California that is going to require... Los Angeles County to remove up to 1.56 million inactive voters from their rolls. These are voters who haven't voted for a long period of time and have been listed as inactive. And when you have, and but the, the you know they shouldn't be on the rolls because anyone can show up and vote using their names, even though they have been inactive for years. It's a recipe for fraud, and that's why federal law requires the states to take reasonable steps to clean up the rolls, and that's why LA County because the law is on our side, agreed to settle with us. So that's a massive victory. Now, does that mean it will knock off illegal aliens who are on the rolls or aliens who are not supposed to be on the rolls, off the rolls? I don't know. We don't know that. Uh, But we should be concerned that these uh, aliens are voting in large numbers in a way and engaging in voter fraud, or or, or if they're not knowingly engaging in it, it's resulting in voter fraud and resulting in stalling votes for American citizens. There were two big events in the last few weeks. Out of Texas, the Texas government announced 
uh, they had reason to believe there were upwards of 100,000 aliens on the voting rolls who weren't supposed to be there, and upwards of nearly 60,000 of them have been voting in elections over the years. In Pennsylvania, there was a number that was generated um, grudgingly by the Pennsylvania bureaucrats who had been trying to cover it up, that 11,000 aliens were on the voting rolls. Not clear about the voting activities of those individuals. But it certainly is confirming of the concern that aliens are voting in large numbers in a way, or large enough numbers in a way, to impact elections. Now, what is the left's response to those astonishing Texas numbers that show about, uh, that detail the alien voting fraud crisis? Oh, the numbers may not be as high as first estimated, because some of those individuals may have later become citizens, and they may show up on the database showing them to be non-citizens, but they've perfected their status, and they're now citizens, and they're eligible to vote. Hey, that may well be the case. Or Texas could have uh, underestimated and not picked up enough of the names. We don't know one way or another. But let's say the left is right. Let's say it's not 60,000 aliens illegally voting. It's 30,000 aliens illegally voting. Is that too many? What about 10,000 aliens illegally voting? Is that too many? What about 1,000 aliens illegally voting? What about 100 aliens illegally voting? I tell you what, what about one alien illegally voting? It may be too many if it's your vote that's canceled out as a result of that illegal alien voting, whether it be in Texas or nationally. Now, there's a study out of Old Dominion University that the left hates, and they've been trying to blow up, but uh, without success, uh, essentially, as I said, there are millions of detailing that aliens are registering in large numbers and, uh, and portions of those, that alien population that's registered to vote are voting illegally. And uh, their analysis was it changed the outcome of a, a key race in the Senate in Minnesota back with that put Al Franken into office, who was the deciding vote for Obamacare and the stimulus package and things like that under President Obama. And it resulted in North Carolina going towards pres- uh, 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 North Carolina going into President Obama's uh, column during the 2008 election. Didn't necessarily put him over the top, but it gave him one state he otherwise would not have had based on aliens voting. And the Old Dominion study found that more or less 80% of aliens who vote vote for Democrats. So Republicans get illegal votes too, but only 20% of those voting illegally who are aliens. And again, these are not necessarily all illegal aliens. These are also aliens who are lawfully present. And voter ID is not going to pick up that problem or stop that from happening. Because if you're registered to vote, many of these aliens have the necessary ID to vote. And of course, most states don't have voter ID. So what I did was I looked at that Old Dominion study, and I found, you know, extrapolating the numbers to 2016, that about 1.1 million voters uh, illegally voted for Hillary Clinton. And these voters were aliens. Now, do I know that exactly happened? No, but based on that study, the numbers would be about 1.1 million. And in the new 2018 midterms, 
the elections that put uh, the Democrats in control of the House, uh, gave some more Senate seats to Republicans. The, uh, uh, the numbers would be, based on that study, I would guess around 900,000 aliens illegally voted. Again, overwhelmingly in large numbers for Democrats. That's a voter crisis. That's a voter fraud crisis. And the Texas numbers show uh, that there's a major issue that needs to be addressed, not only in the state of Texas, but nationally, by the Trump Justice Department. And if I were President Trump, I'd get on the horn right now and call the Justice Department, or maybe wait a day for Bill Barr to be confirmed, and call Bill Barr once he's Attorney General and say, Hey, Mr. Attorney General, uh, this needs to be job one. We need to protect the civil rights of tens of thousands of Americans whose votes are being stolen. This is the civil rights question of our era here. It's not voter suppression, which is a made-up threat by the left to attack voting integrity laws. It's voter fraud. And these numbers, you can't ignore and the government can't ignore it. Now, Judicial Watch is going to do what it can to investigate what's going on in Texas and Pennsylvania. Obviously, we got this big deal going in California. But again, why is Judicial Watch doing all the heavy lifting? Why are we doing all the heavy lifting on this? Where's the Justice Department? They're a little bit better than they were under Obama on voting, voting integrity issues but uh, not nearly as active as they need to be, given the fact that the Justice Department has been asleep at the wheel, at the behest of the left, uh, that wants to undermine voting and election integrity. Because I'm convinced the left wants to be able to steal elections if necessary. Now, the Texas, obviously, you've got this uh, enormous number of aliens uh, voting illegally, potentially. And all of this is an indication of why we need stronger border security. Uh, it's also an indication of why we need, dare I say it, citizenship verification in order to register to vote. Because currently you register to vote in federal elections, you just affirm you're a citizen. Well, you know, no one's checking you. They just, you know, in theory you could commit a crime by, sign. you know, you are committing a crime if you sign up to register to vote, say you're a citizen when you're not. But how's that being checked? There should be citizenship verification. You should be able to uh, confirm your citizenship in order to vote. That's a simple, uh, that's a simple issue. Uh, but getting back to the wall, we need border security. We need to make sure that the numbers of illegal aliens aren't growing, that our borders are secure and safe. And that's not happening. And uh, the president uh, is going to get, it looks like, uh, based on what the news is, a little bit of a wall. It's amazing what happens when uh, people are forced to uh, actually defend their policies. You know, it's one thing for the left to say they are against the border wall, uh, but President Trump put their nose to, uh, uh, in their own mess in this regard, uh, with the government shutdown. And they didn't want that to happen again, so they gave President Trump, it looks like they'll be giving him a portion of the wall that he requested. Is it enough? No. And this is why President Trump needs to take additional action uh, to secure the border. Uh, there are other things he can do to build walls down there under current provisions of law. 
They should do that. You know, we have been investigating. He was down in El Paso holding a big rally uh, this week on the issue. Uh, Judicial Watch has been investigating the border security crisis at El Paso specifically for years. And trust me when I tell you that our investigation has found that El Paso is on the front lines in the border wars. It is a nexus for narco-terrorist activity. Uh, The local governments have been terribly corrupted down there. Uh, So think of uh, El Paso's in West Texas. It's on the border with New Mexico. Uh, Fort Bliss is part of the El Paso area. And so when when I talk about El Paso, I'm talking about El Paso proper, uh, across from the border from Mexico, uh, in, in Mexico from El Paso, is Juarez, uh, which is run by the cartels and a nightmare. And then El Paso on either side, you go to the west, you're heading out to uh, New Mexico. There's little or no border security there. And you go out east down to Texas, uh, down south along the river there. There's little or no border security there. There's obviously a barrier, or may not, may not be obvious to you, but there's a barrier in El Paso. But on either side of El Paso are really throughways for their cartels to move drugs, human beings, and terrors. Now, Judicial Watch has uncovered the fact that, in our reporting, that uh, DEA said El Paso is a major hub for Mexican opioids and methamphetamine en route to the rest of the United States. Just a few days ago, USS, uh, U.S. Customs and Border Protection released figures showing that, El pa- that the El Paso sector, which as I've been describing, had an astonishing 1,500% increase in illegal immigration apprehensions during the first month of 2019 compared to the first month of 2018. Most of them are coming, uh, the apprehensions are coming from Central America, not from Mexico. And, of course, then you've got this issue where the cartels are moving special interest aliens into the United States. Essentially what they do is they move them to remote locations where they're later picked up. Now, these are not special interest aliens because they have interesting hobbies or uh, great personalities. They're special interest aliens because they've behaved in a way to raise national security concerns uh, by our uh, security officials here in the United States. And we know they're being moved up, because our sources say so, into the United States by the cartels. We've also exposed ISIS and uh, movement as well in that area. An ISIS training, it looks like, was going on across the border in that area as well. All of this we confirmed with really sound sourcing. Now, when we, ho- when we highlighted this, guess who was congressman of El Paso at the time, or congressman for El Paso at the time? Guess. Beto O'Rourke, and he didn't like us exposing the border crisis because he's a leftist. He evidently doesn't like the idea of border security. And what did O'Rourke do, according to our reports? He started calling the feds to suppress the information he thought we were getting from them to try to intimidate our sources and stop Uh, what he thought was the leaking of information to Judicial Watch about the dire national security threat on the border. So I know Beto O'Rourke is the new uh, hot hot item politically, but just you remember that. 
And you can go on our website and read about Mr. O'Rourke's, uh, our battles with uh, Beto O'Rourke. Was it Beto or Beto? I don't know. He's not, he's not Hispanic. He's, uh, but he, I think he seems to think that by calling himself Beto or walking around using that old nickname from his family, he can pretend to be Hispanic. I don't know. Uh, but I can tell you that he tried to interfere and intervened with the federal government and abused his power as a congressman to try to shut down Judicial Watch's investigations and exposés of the dire national security threat at the border. So I encourage you to go and read all of our El Paso material. Uh, my colleague Chris Farrell uh, uh, is uh, the central figure in a excellent documentary on these issues called The Sun City Sale. The Sun City Cell. Uh, Judicial Watch helped get that out. It's a great documentary. You need to go online and read it. It's available on YouTube. We'll place a link on it here. So I don't know what's going to happen with the border wall. I suspect the president is going to take what he can get out of Congress and just move ahead and build what he can under the law, in addition to the support he's getting from Congress. Uh, but uh, it's essential that we take care of that issue giving the terrorists and the humanitarian crisis down there, and obviously the drug crisis as well. We need to secure our borders if we're going to have a country uh, that will want to call home uh, over the next generation. I can tell you that. So with that, I uh, encourage you to go to our website, find out more about everything I told you about, and thanks for joining us this week, and I'll see you next time here on the Judicial Watch Update. You have just listened to Tom Fitton's weekly update on JW TalkNet. Remember to subscribe and donate at judicialwatch.org slash donate.